Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. First Cow is the movie on the lovely cover of our March-April issue. It's directed by Kelly Reichardt, and the setting is an Oregon frontier town in the 1820s, when newcomers are busily trying to get a foothold in life and in business. Two such newcomers are at the center of First Cow, a cook named Cookie, and a fugitive that he befriends named King Lou. It's another chapter in Reichardt's richly imagined vision of America, a portrait of outsiders and of friendship, which also accounts for the unruly forces of commerce and greed. First Cow is now in theaters, and it screened last year in the New York Film Festival, which is where I spoke with Reichardt between events at Film at Lincoln Center. She generously went into detail about images and the sounds that compose the film's historical snapshot, as well as the artistic influences. Be sure to check out our discussions of First Cow also in the print magazine, as well as the podcast. Let's go now to the conversation with Kelly Reichardt. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, we are doing an interview here with Kelly Reichardt, director of First Cow, uh, which has had a wonderful success, I would say, at the New York Film Festival. I just keep hearing from people um, from the press screening and afterwards. Sorry to <laughs> start off with like an no, compliment <laughs> and everything, but it's utterly true. I hope that does, does that, oh, that must good. feel so oh, nice. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Throughout the film, there's such attention to the texture of the time um, that really fleshes things out. Another thing I noticed is the way the trappers in the beginning, everyone's just all brown. There's like, <laughs> it's like there wasn't, a, it's, it's, there's no luxury of like particular color. It's just like you, you killed mm. it and you put it on you. Yes. Yes. You. You eat it, you wear yeah. it, you eat it. But yeah, they're the they're the beaver trappers. They're wearing a lot of beaver. And how how were you settling upon that that kind of palette? Because I know you mentioned that there are not a lot of photographic sources. So there's a lot of images we drew from. But color wise, it was very much Frederick Remington was kind of our guide. His paintings and his like the coral stars and the blue green skies and a lot of blue in the greens. So that and then I don't know. Winslow Homer is always around. You could go overkill with images, and then you're like trying to scale back so that everybody's kind mm -hmm. of on a um, same page. But um, I don't think there was a lot of artists out around that portion of the West Coast in 1820. I mean, I had been trying to make this other film for like three years that took place, was supposed to take place in Europe in a little bit later, but it was the 1800s in that area. And it was a village also. And so I had gotten into like Soutine and Corbet and kind of a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, in that world that I was plunging into for that film and it, that film didn't happen but as i was shooting i realized a lot of the remnants of that film were working their way mm. um into uh first cow like there was still um 
it just, you know, it was still in my mind and still, you know. It was uh, immigrating. Yeah, it was. (laughs) So, but um, in a color world, we kind of really did, uh, I sort of threw us on the sword for um, Remington and then we all uh, worked from that. Like the Chief Factors House is very much those colors. And then... Mm -hmm. um, Just thinking back a bit, sort of the big picture, but not literally the, the colors of the big picture, but the people in the picture... I, I just thought it was very interesting to have a whole whole movie um, focused, not necessarily like a sort of panoramic gallery of characters, although it's all fleshed in, but two characters who are seem like outsiders to, to me. Um, I mean, I, for example, you know, Cookie, I saw just from his name, uh, you know, that... He, is he? Is, I mean, is he supposed to be a Jewish character? Yeah, Figowitz. Yeah. I mean, Cookie comes from that's what you call the cook. Yeah, um, no, right, no, no, Cookie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, Figowitz. Yes, a Jew, a Jewish guy in the Western. Yeah, it, it's like that's a little unusual. Yeah. And also the Western and American Western sort of being told not from the east to west yeah. kind of um, journey. Yeah. It's not an east to west tale. It's like you know people coming from China and Russia and in England. Yeah, so those are kind of two different. Elements elements but yeah yeah i mean did, did that kind of open up an, a new way of, of, of looking at at this terrain uh, in a way i mean or of the mindsets of the time you know allowing to look through the eyes of of, of somebody who are not usually centered in, in you know i don't know well you know we had a guide because you know we were mm-hmm. coming off this novel the half-life yeah. which is jonathan raymond's first novel and which is a huge, it is a big book. It covers <laughs> four decades and, yeah. um, and two continents. And um, so in the book, King Lou is actually a composite of two characters in the book. Okay. There's a character named Henry, and then there's late, way later in the book, you meet King Lou. And so the King Lou character became this, uh, you know, a mix of these two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cookie is still Cookie. Uh, <laughs> So there, but there, so there was that to sort of go off of, and then their adventure is a much smaller version of what's Mm -hmm. in the, um, it's in the book and they don't go to China and they don't go to jail for 40 years or anything like that. They, um, so like, I really felt like going into it, I knew who Cookie was. King Lou was more of a, um, of a puzzle to me, um, Mm -hmm. going into it. And I guess McGarrow to me did not look like, uh, you know, in, from a casting point of view, I was casting with Gail Keller and uh, he didn't seem like someone I had seen in a Western before. He mm-hmm. doesn't have, I mean, John Maguero kind of has some cookie qualities. He's a, he's a, um, he's an introvert, I think. He's a, um, you know, he's kind of uh cautious yet sees you know i I mean i don't want to sum up john mcgill let's just say cookie um you know (laughs) but um you know but cautious but you know wanting to believe in a good humanity but also you know wanting to avoid a fight wanting to avoid trouble um and so if anything it was like you could use the uh play off with the other trappers especially like play off the stories of the West that we know from Westerns and we know from Western tales forever of like the tough and rough and, um, and be able to use that as a structure and then, um, stick to these two characters that were going in deep with and, um, build a world off them. And so it wasn't really with them. I was never thinking, um, I don't think of what, uh, 
who they should be in that world, but more I just like this is who Cookie is and this is who King Lou is, especially once working with the actors and their rapport with each other. It was just like this is the trip we're on. But the rest of it, like the fort and the people at the fort and the people in the bars and yeah. all of that, um, you know, certainly that's is influence from like, you know, you could the Lewis and Clark uh, diaries as well as like any John Ford Western you've ever right. seen. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, mm. it's funny how hard it is to, for, I don't know, for me to separate it sometimes from, from those things. I, for a long time I had the Lewis and Clark journals out, um, just to read when I had like five minutes. It's just, I don't know. It's great to dip into it. And then there was the Pynchon novel. Do you ever read that one? The Mason and Dixon. I mean, just thinking of you, you were mentioning like past, like uh, representations of the West Ford and, since you cast Renee, yeah. obviously you think a little bit of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I'd worked with Renee on certain women. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah that's right. And, um, but, but still. yeah, of course you can't, he's in the town. You can't not, you know, building a town in the middle of the West. I mean, yeah. it was obviously, I think when our film played here last night, McCabe, McCabe and Mrs. Miller played on the same night. Oh, really? So I was like, uh, ah, oh, that's all right. That's a bit on the nose. <laughs> yeah, that's like, um, but yeah. I mean, I love Renee's character in McCabe and yeah, Mrs. Miller, but I also wanted obviously this to be its own thing. But uh, yeah, Renee, I forget what he his title was, like Man in Town, but I don't know. He had a, he had a name, but I just can't remember what it is right now. Um, oh, Parsons. Yeah, he was named after... Ironically, the guy who ended up playing the bartender, Brian Parsons, who's who's in oh. the boat later with the dog in the river. Oh, He's okay. like the real guy, Mike Brian Parsons. He owns a um he and his family own they they they're blueberry farmers on Sobeys Island. Oh, wow. And um he was working on the film also and his sons of our camera guys now. And oh, so cool. anyway, I'm on a sidetrack. No, I mean I, I like that that yeah. one can Teasing yeah. little details like that. And then, I mean, I saw in the credits, although I can't say I, I noticed it in the moment, that Stephen Malcolmus plays a, a fiddler. Yeah, or, he's the fiddler in town. In town um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you didn't notice the fiddle guy? I know, no, I noticed mm -hmm. he was, no, I noticed mm -hmm. the fiddler guy, but I didn't know it was I him. I think you didn't notice him because there's a screaming pig going. <laughs> I know that town is a little piece of Portland. I must admit it's, um, yeah. the writer that I was working with on the film that we didn't get to make uh -huh. is in the town. He's the guy with the bird, oh, okay. Patrick uh -huh. DeWitt. Steve's playing his fiddle. Mm -hmm. Eric from Mississippi records is carrying the pig. Okay. He's the pig guy. <laughs> it's okay. just like, we were, we were really, um, pull anyone in, in, in town who had a face that looked like from another period. And then yeah. Stephen was great enough to um, learn some fiddle for the film. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Jay Hoberman on Thomas Heise's essay film Heimat is a Space in Time, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Plus, Spike Lee's trusted costume designer Ruthie Carter, Isabel Huppert in Lulu, George Romero's Lost Film, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Is it, is it the sort of thing where are you discovering new things about the movie a little bit based on what audiences are reacting or, or anyone else? Um, ooh, uh, I haven't sat in on any screenings, so 
it's a little hard to know, but there's a few things I've noticed, a couple of presumptions that I think are off. That, you know, the film doesn't maybe go out of its way to clarify, mostly surrounding the chief factor. Right. But is that too deep to jump into that right now? No. Like too in the center? No, I mean, not at all. In fact, that, that it's like one of, that's one of those details, which is so in the past, like, I don't yeah. even know what a factor is. Or chief yeah. Factor. Well, some people thought like factor was his last name and that he was just called like chief factor <laughs> or something. But, um, so one, one misconception I think in the film or not a misconception, something we don't really go out of our way to define is the Toby Jones character who's referred to as the chief factor. Yeah. And the company we made are, well, one thing that might not be that clear, is it clear that it's like about beaver trade? I I had that sense. I, I I don't know if I knew that because someone said it, but I, I had that sense that that's how he would have. That's how he made his money. Right. Yeah. We sort of modeled it off the Hudson Bay Company oh, okay. uh -huh. and John McLaughlin, who okay. was an Englishman who began up in Canada and then yeah. moved down to what's now Oregon. Okay. And what was the name of our fort? Our uh, Fort Tillamook. Oh, oh, yeah. um, uh -huh. We made up so many names of so many things, it was impossible to, to keep track. <laughs> Especially, we had names, um, embarrassingly, our names early on of some of the Chinook characters were, you know, probably like when we started giving people down at the Confederation of Tribes in the Grand Ron, and they had to sort of switch to the McNulta tribes to be more inclusive, but they um, helped us change the name of our characters because I think our characters would have been like George Washington, or <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. And so the names kept changing so often. It was just yeah. <laughs> like we'd be sending out forms to everyone. Okay, this character is... Uh... Were, were you getting the names from just kind of reading uh, journals? From well, we were first, John Raymond and I were, yeah. but those names were just like too huge. And so okay. when we started, we started encroaching on um, the Grand Ron, which is this beautiful museum just outside of Eugene, Oregon. Okay. And it's only been open about a year. It opened right before we started. Okay. And we went down there and it's it was once a high school. Anyway, the Grand Ron is this confederation of tribes and they have this beautiful museum down there and they had a library that they opened up to us and made research materials available okay. to us, which was very cool of them. And then eventually someone there did us a favor and read our script and gave us some name ideas. But <laughs> I don't know why the names just kept, a lot of names kept changing in the script. It was getting very confusing for everybody, but... Yeah, the chief factor, though, getting back to the chief factor, yes. he's modeled after John McLaughlin and he, you know, he's like would be the head of Exxon or something like that. Oh, okay. He's not a landowner. And so that's who he is. And he, it's like the first corporations, you know, right, um, right, yeah. before the railroad comes in. And so I've noticed um, maybe in reading some of the stuff about the film that that's a little yeah. Well, well that, but that's a good thing. I think that you're not over explaining the class structure or something. You know, yeah. you kind of you kind of go in there, and if you you know you see how he's dressed, you see mm. how he talks to people. Yeah, you, you get that he's you, in charge. You you kind of get the idea of who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I love how he just he walks into the camp and he says mm -hmm. to someone at random like, "Look alive, kid." Yeah, like, look alive. Son. Like he owns yeah. the place, or maybe yeah. he does own the he's place. The he's, he says <laughs> to the sleeping guard, <laughs> "Look alive." Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. in charge. Yeah. 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 One name thing that got me, maybe because I'm not, I'm a very specialized baker. I can only bake pies. Was the particular thing? The cloth of tea. Yeah. The yeah. Cloth of tea. Yeah. How did you That's settle? The, <laughs> settle, settle for the cloth of tea. That was a thing. That would have been the thing. Oh, that was um, a fad. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. 
but it's just like a French cake, I guess, but it's very basic. You know, something that the chief factor would have done to impress the captain who's coming to stay at his house. And so a lot of clafoutis were made. There was clafoutis competition amongst the crew. But every time we had a production (laughs) meeting, it was like, here's five clafoutis. (laughs) Which one do you like best? Um, So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, Great Great British Bake Off was occurring. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to kind of extrapolate from from that th- those moments, you know, where as soon as the chief factor is there, that's the kind of the impetus for him making that 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 cake. And I don't know, just immediately you see the forces we were talking just before about, you know, it can just take a few like vain or greedy people to to like put a whole bunch of machinery in motion. Um, and I just what's interesting in the movie for me is like the mix of just kind of happenstance and kind of forces like that you know, driving the, the story along. So, you know, the cook is a kind of a character that gets bounced around a lot a bit. He cookie. Just, cookie, yeah. Cookie, yeah. But then also, you know, gets caught up in other forces, like when he's uh, together with... Um, King Lou. King, yeah, King Lou's character, who has just enough of this kind of like entrepreneurial drive that that in- introduces something different. Um, that jacket would never be allowed on a set, Nick. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it rustling or what? Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's your podcast, but I mean, that is I a highly not, uh, nylons, not allowed in your microphone. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just in addition to, to make it seem out. like I'm about to leave, I'm, I'm just <laughs> sorry. It's just no, don't apologize. <laughs> I'm just saying that the sound department would be very upset by that jacket. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, Takes a filmmaker to tell yeah, me the, that. Um, well, it's more like a small thing has like yeah. has a huge consequence. You know, the stealing of milk while they're trapping out the entire beaver population, <laughs> right. or wiping out you know twenty thousand years of Native American life. Um, yeah. But the stealing of the milk. Um, yeah, so there's this outside-sized response to, I guess, the crime that our characters commit. But but yeah, I mean, the cabin that King Lou has, you, I mean, you mentioned the press conference, thinking a bit of the cabin from Women in, Women in the Dunes. It was like, yeah, it was like a ad hoc mock-up. Part of it was from Women of the Dunes, and the other part of the hutch was from Yugetsu. Well, they both had good vantage points in the, I mean, actually, Women in the Dunes less so, I would say, than the Yugetsu cap. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it just became its own thing. But those were the first drawings I gave to Tony Gasparro. And then we had this fellow, Philip Clark, a researcher that we used in England that gave us some images because images were really hard to come by. But I started this collection of cottage photos, which was in Rene Abougenois' favorite cottage. Designer. Like a hutch, yeah, yeah, that I saw. It was like it was like in a deep background. I was like, oh, I got to, yeah. we have to have that um, bark hutch. <laughs> but, um, you know, just both the idea of the indoor, using the indoor and outdoor yeah. space. Right. But also the way you shoot it is, you you, you know, couple times you're using these deep focus kind of thing where you're seeing through the window as well as so you're both inside and outside that seems to give us a sense of the hominess but also the kind of precariousness of just living in this cabin in the middle of nowhere like the outside is always there yes we had a big it was a the hard thing was we we were shooting the idea was supposed to be late fall you know feeling Mm -hmm. and it was it was like when we were shooting so that was easy but you know sound was just a hard thing to decide on because for example, like nighttime, crickets equal nighttime and birds right. equal daytime. But it's supposed to be, you know, it became this whole elaborate thing about crickets, which I'm now obsessed with because I've spent a year <laughs> listening to crickets. And ironically, I'm living in Hoboken right now. And the crickets are so loud in Hoboken. They're driving me insane. In I mean, like, it, even? yeah, at four in the morning, they're 
God, it might just be it's, one guy is driving me crazy. Really but I, I spent six months uh-huh. like trying to figure out about what to do about crickets because it mm. would be too warm for crickets to be there. But crickets right. are, yeah. are, you know, you have to have some sound. So right. we're just like, what are, and, you know, the birds, uh, there are winter birds, but like uh, just finding the right birds for the season. But what we're saying, oh, the inside is the outside. But yeah, you know, there is, um, the inside is kind of the outside. Yeah. You know, just like these are just some clapboard hammered up together, you know. And you're living with all the elements all the time. And, but it's still it's still a home. And, and I like that Cookie's, like one of his reactions at one point, he's just like, oh, I should be sweeping. Yeah. And he just starts sweeping. There's so many little details like that that I like of the that show the, the space and, and their, their friendship. Really. Yeah. Yes, they make um, home together quickly. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. I guess we should probably wrap up. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to end just mentioning uh, the dedication, which um, oh, yeah. I, I was really moving yeah. to Peter Hutton um, because not to like pat myself on the back, but when I did see the boat moving, I did actually think of oh, <laughs> it somehow. That's nice. Yeah. Because I had seen them all here, obviously. And then you right. would see him seeing things here in yeah. the so. No, that sh- the opening shot is a, a little homage to yeah. Peter Peter Hutton, who the film's dedicated to, who is an American landscape filmmaker near and dear to probably many people listening to this, I would think, or yeah. many of your readers, and um, certainly to me and everybody up at Bard College, I think. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you for yep, thank joining you. me on this All right. somewhat aleatory journey. <laughs> You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.